My hope is that people connect the issue they care about more to the people who actually affect that issue. I think there's a tendency in our country to just assume that the president does everything or the Supreme Court does everything. But in reality, the thing, the federal government, if you read the book and, and the Constitution, it's like the federal government is limited. It's only supposed to do a few pretty big and substantial things, but there's so much more power at our state and local levels. Hello. Hello. Welcome to At Home. This is a place where we explore all the nooks and crannies of what makes us feel at home. The good, the meh, and the messy. We've been together over 10 years and we still have a lot to learn about each other. (laughs) I've been with myself for a long time and I still haven't figured myself out. It's a process. Well, there will be heated debates. Yeah, because Drew has very strong opinions Mm -hmm. about everything, like leaving the toilet lit up. Well, hey, we'll just bring in experts to help us solve those. What about you, though? Leaving hair dolls in the shower. Ew. Uh, Those are gifts. (laughs) Yeah, that no one wants. This is all a part of our life at home. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining us. I mean, we know that there's a lot on our minds, everyone's minds right now with everything that's happening in the world. Oh, you're getting right into it. I, I am, yeah. yeah. I just I just wanted to uh, say, you know, the thing for us is this has made us realize everything that's happening with Ukraine, that there's so much we don't know about the history of the different countries. And even here in the US, the history of our own country here, we don't understand. Even Canada, where we were born. I was just going to say, yeah. I've never been well-versed in politics and it feels embarrassing in ways because, you know, we don't have a lack of resources in order for, like for us to, to learn. learn about it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that that's why we're speaking to today's guest, yeah. Ben Sheehan. And, and going back to everything that's happening in the world, not just in Ukraine, but beyond what's happening here and internationally, I feel like the past few years has just been a really big test of okay, you feel overwhelmed, what What are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And everything that happens is like another reminder, like, okay, yes, it's stressful, but we are fortunate to be able to like only witness it. So we do need to do something about it. Yeah, so I mean, we'll, we'll share links on, on socials as well. Yeah, we, we have some great links to share. And, and a big part for us, like we said, it's education and having somebody who understands looking, now this is us looking here within the US um, to get a little bit more education. That's why Ben's here. His goal is to make regular civic participation, even beyond voting, an everyday thing. Kind of like flossing. Yeah, he said it's like flossing your teeth. You do it every day and it's good for your overall health. And if you don't do it every day, um, you definitely Ew. should. You should. <laughs> but what I love with Ben is that he teaches through his history with comedy because he was an award-winning producer with Funny or Die. And then he has this background where he grew up in Washington and his experience sitting around the table with his family and learning everything that he did about politics. So he brings these two sides of his world together Mm -hmm. in a very engaging and entertaining way. And he saw this void because he realized in the past 20 years, civics classes has largely been cut from school curriculum. So for us to feel embarrassed, it's not completely our fault because, you know, we aren't fully educated in it, but we have the chance now to be. So he comes up with really clear, non-boring, non-intimidating and entertaining ways to explain how government works. In fact, he's so good at what he does. In 2016, 
for the presidential election, he was actually able to get 50,000 people to register that That's weren't going to so register. Cool. And that was through his videos. He posted some comedic videos and then he had a link. So Ben's written multiple books. Uh, OMG, WTF, does the Constitution actually mm-hmm. say? And the kid-friendly version, what does the Constitution say? <laughs> and these are primers on how our government was designed to work and how we can each be effective citizens. And I love that he's been praised by members of Congress, journalists, entertainment figures, governors, presidential nominees. Everybody has seen what he does. And I think that he does it in a way that he's not offending people. He's just educating. All right, let's put our learning caps on and listen to our chat with Ben Sheehan. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're, they're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices, like my lights, my locks. (laughs) My security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Thank you so much for joining us, Ben. This is actually really fun. So our paths have crossed in the past, and now here we are crossing again, but in a whole different light than your funnier die days. Or is it? Because you're still, <laughs> what, what you do when it comes to politics is still based in comedy. Right. I feel like it's kind of the same thing. It was always a challenge for me at Funny or Die to try to take something that I thought was perceived as extremely boring to other people and that I thought was sexy because I'm kind of nerdy in that way and to take it and turn it and present it in a way where other people sort of get the infectious sort of excitement that that I get. Did you just call Joe Biden sexy? Because I think that's what I heard. Calling U.S. government sexy. I did Exactly do that. And I agree. Um, And I don't think he's even the sexiest person in the government. So there you go. Well, so tell us about how you got to where you are and what you do just for all of our listeners, because you really have found a new way to speak to people about government, about policy, about how the U.S. government works. It's something that most people have no clue about. A sexy, funny way. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I guess I have to thank my parents, honestly, in, at the end of the day, because I was born, for better or worse, in D.C., and I grew up, and this was just the topic, with having two parents that work in the federal government or with the federal government, it was just the topic of uh, at the dinner table every night. So I would be you know, sort of a fly on the wall, and I would basically get these civics lessons every night over dinner um, and I just soaked it in for many years growing up and then I went off to college to study politics in Atlanta and then when I came out to LA to work in the entertainment industry and really my first big job was at Funny or Die, I wanted to 
infuse politics into a lot of the videos that I that I did because like I mentioned earlier I thought it was a fun challenge to try to take something that on its face seems boring or wonky or stuffy and to try to make it exciting and presentable. So I continued that work after Funnier Die and I started an organization in 2018 called OMGWTF that was an acronym for Ohio, Michigan, Georgia, Wisconsin, Texas, and Florida, uh, among other things. And we <laughs> got people to, well, hopefully got people to care about races that they may not be paying attention to, like governor or secretary of state or attorney general. What do these people do? Why should we care who they are? What is that? What is the power of that job? And that's when I really noticed that a lot of my friends at events or, or would just come up to me and start asking me these questions and they'd always preface it by saying, I know this is a stupid question, hmm. but, and then whatever they would say. And this kept happening to the point where I started looking into how we teach civics and government in our schools. And that was like the aha moment where I realized that in the last 20 years, we've been drastically cutting civics and government classes. In fact, today, only eight states require a year of civics or government at some point between kindergarten and first grade. Mm. So everyone who's prefacing their questions with, I know this is a stupid question, but you can stop doing that. It's not Mm -hmm. your fault. If you didn't happen to have parents who worked in the government that taught you over dinner across a period of many years Mm -hmm. and your school didn't teach that, it's not your fault. So don't feel embarrassed. I would have actually started with that. And and now one thing, you may ask that question to me or Linda when you ask us about Canadian politics, since we're from Canada originally. I know extremely little about Canadian politics, so I will preface that. I'd still be asking that same question. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, in 2016, I know that you, for voter registration, I know that you helped like 50,000 voters come to the polls. So your journey, when when you started with Funny or Die and as as you continued with everything that you do, what was it? Was it sort of every time you had another friend say to you, I know this is a dumb question, or every time you posted a new video and you saw the reaction, is that what kept propelling you forward to continue to learn and grow yourself and find new ways to, to help people understand the process? I really get a rush, and I'm not quite entirely sure why, but I get a rush of sort of being like a filter for for information because it's not that people aren't interested in a subject like gerrymandering or a subject like um, you know the powers of the federal government versus the states. It's just about how you present it. So for uh, example, in 2018, my organization, to get people to understand the power that governors had when it came to uh, approving new district lines, we created a line of jewelry called gerrymandered jewelry, where every necklace and pin was in the shape of one of the worst gerrymandered congressional districts in the United States. And we made a real website, gerrymanderedjewelry.com, and we <laughs> actually sold gold and silver pendants, uh, necklaces and pins. And we did like oh a God. Jared or like Zales, <laughs> very serious jewelry ad that like wasn't funny, but just played it straight. And I think we got a lot of people based on the the amount of views that that video got, the amount of you know communication that was coming into our organization. Um, we got a lot of people to think in a new way about something that they may not have been interested in before. So that is sort of how I see my role and what I get excited about is to take the boring, wonky stuff and just sort of flip it and mix, mess with it and mix it and then present it in a way where it may actually be of interest to someone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How did your... I mean, you say you you just, you know, absorbed it all like a sponge at the dinner table growing up. But like, did your parents speak about it in a certain way that that clicked with you or that even made you care about it? Because a lot of our parents say things and we're just like, yeah, mom and dad. Yeah, Were they they testing you or were they purposely (laughs) trying to teach you or you just picked it up as they discussed? 
Um, sometimes it was casual. Sometimes it felt like it was a debate that I should have spent like the with a week preparing for my talking <laughs> points and arguments. But they always wanted to do two things. One was to help inform us a little bit, but they also talked to us as adults. And I feel like that's something I really wanted to do in my work is I'm not talking to somebody, I'm not just because I know more about a particular subject than somebody, I'm not talking down to them like I'm better than them or that I'm, you know, being pedantic or stuffy. It's just sort of like the vibe is we're two people hanging out and here's something you might be interested in. I'm gonna explain it to you over, you know, drinks at a bar. Just like very like friend to friend rather than like expert to novice. Mm. And what my parents were really good about was both giving giving me an opportunity to speak my mind and and to have a conversation like I was an adult but they also early on started like educating me like I remember my mom would take like a pen and a napkin and draw a house on the napkin and then write the number 100 on one side and the number 435 on the other and that was my first lesson of congress at like age 6 so some of it was like back of the napkin lessons but also it was just treating i think their kids like equals and mm. that got us to feel like we were respected and that our opinions mattered and so especially for the kids book that's really what I tried to project. Yeah, and and I love that. So your kids book, what does the constitution say? Um we have it. Our nieces and nephew have been reading this and oh, me great. and me. <laughs> and and obviously we have both of your books as well. OMG, WTF, does the constitution actually say? Um I think What's exciting for me and one of the main reasons we wanted to chat with you was because Linda's pregnant and I also heard that maybe you guys are maybe going to have a baby around the same time as us. And uh, They're going to be uh, uh, about a month apart and I'm assuming from what I'm getting from this conversation so far, also best friends? I, yeah, I'm pretty and, sure. and debate partners. Yeah, <laughs> but what they have to do is they have to flip sides of the debate every every other week. So that's that's what we used to do actually in school. We would Jonathan and I would flip because then we could try and argue something both ways. What I'm excited about though is there's so much that I, you know, maybe the first thing that comes to mind isn't sort of politics and trying to make sure our future child understands uh, the shape of our government and what the shape of our country. But I think there's so much that we could start to instill the way your parents did at a young age. So knowing that you're about to have your first child, just like us, how does that shift what you're learning and what you're trying to teach in a way that can really resonate as your child's growing up? Well, I think that just by nature of being exposed to something from an early age, it makes it more familiar and less mm -hmm. scary. I think part of the problem is when you have people who don't participate in in our government or just as voters or in their local communities or even local politics, it's because it seems daunting and they don't want to fail. They don't want to be bad at it. And so just by giving my child exposure to this from a really young age, uh, over the course of many years, I think that breeds a familiarity. And so when he will eventually get to the age where he can register to vote and vote or even run for office, this will not seem as, I mean, obviously running for office is a very daunting and taxing thing, but at least the reasons he's doing it or how he's participating, it's not going to seem as intimidating it's not going to be as daunting because this is something he's recognized his entire life. He understands what the house does. He understands why he should care about his city council or his mayor. He understands what the different layers do. Um, and sort of those drip, drip, drip pieces of familiarity over time, mm -hmm. I think, take away the, the fear that may be preventing him from participating. Something that is really cool for us too that we, we learned about, we were talking to, uh, have you seen Youth versus Gov, the documentary? 
No, I haven't. Have you seen that yet? So it's it's basically um, you have it was it twenty one? I think it was twenty one youth that um, came together to sue the U.S. government for taking away their uh, right to living a healthy, clean life. Uh, in, you know, with policies that they've put in place that have actually polluted our planet and continue to. And so it was uh, Juliana versus Gov is the case, and we spoke to Christy, um, who made the film, and it was really interesting to see the passion of the youth and how educated they were as well on the process, and also the process of policy change, which is something that I'm still learning a lot about. And But they were also um, educated through necessity, because climate change has directly impacted these people's lives. So through being a part of this class action lawsuit, like they had to learn as well. Mm-hmm. And they're not looking for just big cash cash payments from the government for themselves. They're just trying to raise awareness to make policy change. And accountability. And accountability, yeah. which I feel is something that you're doing as well. You're bringing a lot more awareness in a different way, which will help in turn, hopefully create policy change. What is a focus for you? What 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 is, with everything that you're doing, what is it that you want to see happen? My hope is that people connect the issue they care about more to the people who actually affect that issue. I think there's a tendency in our country to just assume that the president does everything or the Supreme Court does everything. But in reality, the thing, the federal government, if you read the book and, and the Constitution, it's like the federal government is limited. It's only supposed to do a few pretty big and substantial things, but there's so much more power at our state and local level. So if you care about something like uh, you know, climate change, you should know, yeah, the federal government obviously can can fund it and, and can do a lot around it, but so can your mayor, so can your city council, so can your governor and your, your state legislators. Uh, if you care about the issue of voting, know who the people that affect that issue are. It's the people really in your state, the your state legislators, your state secretary of state, um, you know, gun laws, whatever the issue is that you care about, sort of thinking of government as like one big one eight hundred number where it's like, okay, <laughs> if I care about this issue, what what button do I press to talk mm. to the right person. Mm-hmm. And the more and more people who understand that, then they'll start to turn out for, you know, state attorney general races because they'll know that that person has a huge impact on, you know, how companies that pollute the, you know, inner state are held accountable or if they care about voting laws, they're going to care about their state secretary of state because that's who's in charge of enforcing voting laws. So, mm-hmm. it's really just connecting the issues that you're passionate about to the people who actually have the most power to affect mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it goes back to just educating people that we do have a voice and there are channels through which we can use it. The way you do it through entertainment, it's such a, I guess, like a, a magical formula. So I'm, I'm curious, like, how did that entertainment piece come to be? Like, you just said, like, you studied politics and then you went into entertainment. Well, I probably have to credit programs like Square One and Sesame Street and Mr. Rogers and, you know, shows mm-hmm. that I watched as a child. And and sometimes if they're on, still continue to watch. I have no shame mm-hmm. about that. But I feel like that early infusion of, you know, keeping people's attention, it's really just being able to hold people's attention spans while communicating what you want to communicate. So when I was with Funny or Die and doing videos that were kind of around politics, like Sesame Street and shows like that were in the back of, of my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we all have such short 
attention spans. I remember there was a political strategist at a conference I was at who said that the average attention span for adults, not kids, is seven seconds. So he was trying to structure all of his political ads around gripping people within the first seven seconds. Wow. And we're talking about adults. <laughs> so shows like that and being raised on on sort of short form variety entertainment like like that, it's like, okay, I have a very limited amount of time to grab people's attention. How am I going to do that? And when I was at Funny or Die, we had a, a, a kind of a mantra where we always tried to do something like we would, every video that we created, we would run it through sort of a, two tests. One is this this something that's going to give people uh, a strong opinion about, either really liking it or really disliking it? And two, is it going to surprise people? Because those are the things that we felt were the best like vehicles for, I guess, viral success, meaning that mm. people wanted to share our videos either because they really liked it, they wanted to say how great it was, or they hated it and they wanted to <laughs> tell people how much they hated it, or they couldn't believe it was happening, and so they wanted to um, they wanted to you know, tell all their friends, like, did you see this? This is crazy. Yeah. So sort of those three things, and those are always in the back of my mind when I'm creating content or, or writing, is how do I... You know, I'm not trying to make people angry, but I want people to be become interested. But how do I keep people on their toes? Because I think for me, of all of those, surprise is the most interesting element. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I agree. I mean, I'm pretty sure people hated the Funny or Die video we did with you. But aside <laughs> from that, it made, it made them remember. I don't think that's true. I think no. people were enjoying it. I honestly it. can't remember what it was. I remember was it, it was hilarious. Was it the... But- was it something to do with the debt ceiling, like raising the debt ceiling? Yeah. Or, or am I just? Yeah, no, no, it was. It was. There was. That or, was a part of it, was, but it was. We weren't the property or, brothers. It was a different name you guys gave us. It was I think the, it was some. It was, yeah, it was a mix of home makeover and debt ceiling. I, I believe yeah. that was there was some <laughs> kernel in there that was a. Uh, gold, gold, Jerry. <laughs> um, so, can you break down some of the common misconceptions or fallacies about how people think things in the government operate, or what we're ignorant about? Yeah, I would love to know something we don't know, but probably should. Well, I want to start. I want to. My first answer to that, I want to uh, offer a bit of a bit of hope because there is something really interesting in the Constitution, which you have to be a certain age to run for 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 Senate or or the House or presidency. But all of both of you, in fact, every single person you know, um, is completely qualified under the Constitution to be a Supreme Court justice, to be Speaker of the House, to be Senate President pro tempore, or an elector of presidents and vice presidents, because there are absolutely no qualifications whatsoever in the Constitution for any of those jobs. You don't need to be a member of the House to become Speaker. You don't need to be a judge or even a lawyer to be on the Supreme Court previously. Oh, wow. So really odd that, mm. um, that there are these really high-level positions that have no requirements whatsoever. doesn't even mm. require it to be American citizens. So, oh, really? Yeah, really. Here's Obviously, the, you have to be a citizen to be a member of Congress or the, or the president yeah. or the vice president, but not to be a Supreme Court justice or... Huh. But here's the thing, though, is I am a U.S. citizen, but I'm born, I was born in Canada. So, how, so I don't think I'm allowed to be president, but I think I am allowed to be vice president, right? Uh, your... Um, are both of your parents Canadian citizens or is my, one of them My dad's American from citizen? Scotland and my mom's from Canada. But they're both Canadian citizens. They're both Canadian citizens. So I don't think you are eligible to be, to be either because the vice president is also subject to the same qualifications as the president. So if my parents became U.S. citizens, then I would be eligible or no, they had to be... 
they had to be born there. So I, you had to be born because it's natural born. And so, mm-hmm. for example, like let's use Ted Cruz as an example. Ted Cruz was born uh, in Canada to a American citizen mom and a Cuban citizen dad. So when he was running for president in 2016, a bunch of experts looked at it and said, okay, well, because his mom was an American citizen at the time of his birth, he's allowed to be um, president. Same with John McCain, actually, was born in the Panama Canal Zone, um, this neutral area. And because he had American citizen parents, even though he wasn't born in the United States, uh, he was eligible to be uh, president. Damn, McCain so, and Cruz. Well, let me ask I, you this. How long have you been an American citizen? Uh, a few years. A few years? Yeah. Ha- has it been seven years? No, not yet. Okay. Well, when it hits seven, you could run for uh, House of Representatives. All right. I'm coming for you. And when it hits nine, you can run for the Senate. I'm coming for you, too. <laughs> ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. I, um, I sort of took us off track a little bit. So you were saying uh, some of the misconceptions, but that's good to know. So there, those positions, you don't need some high-level um, qualifications. You don't need any all. qualifications. Yeah. You don't need any qualifications. <laughs> some other big misconceptions, I think, are just like where the where the power is at the at the federal level. So when you go back and look at the Constitution, like the actual papers it was written on, it was on written on these four big pieces of parchment, and the first two are just Article One. They're all about Congress, all about the powers that Congress can do. It's 10 sections. It's half the Constitution. And then Articles 2 through 6 uh, are, are the second two pieces of parchment. The point of this is that when they designed, the founders designed our government, they really meant for Congress to be the driving force because they had just come from England and they had a king who passed down powers through bloodline and people didn't have their say in elections. And so they were like, well, let's do the opposite of that because that really sucks. So why don't we have people vote for their leaders? And instead of it being passed down through bloodline, it's done by elections. And if we don't like Mm -hmm. those people, we can remove them by electing other people. So the idea that sort of the president runs the show or the Supreme Court runs the show actually is not in the Constitution, the, the president's supposed to mm. enforce the laws passed by Congress. The Supreme Court is supposed to interpret the laws and the Constitution and sort of clarify what the law means. But we often think so much about the president and Supreme Court. But if you look back at the founding document, it is the complete opposite. It was supposed to be Congress to be the most powerful branch of government. So interesting. And so interesting how things shape, turn, twist, corrupt, and move <laughs> in certain directions uh, over time. And and so what do you find for you personally? What is something that is a, is a big frustration for you or an area of focus for you to see if there's a way to get rid of certain systemic stubbornness? It sounds obvious to say this, but before we were the United States, we were a collection of 13 states. And I think a lot of people fail to realize that power in this country is not concentrated at the federal level. It's concentrated at 
the state level. You know, the first constitution we had, the Articles of Confederation, was a very loose agreement between the 13 states at the time. And then when they came up with the constitution that we still have, you know, over 200 years later, it was a slightly more defined, you know, tight-knit agreement. But it's still 13 states that have their own leaders, their own, you know, legislators, their own executive, the governor, their own justices and, and judges. And we kind of just focus so much at the federal level that we fail to focus on the state level. And that is where the power is. Like our state legislators, if you write right there in the constitution, how we vote or who gets to vote in each state is almost entirely up to our state legislators. So we actually don't specify in the constitution who's allowed to vote. We don't give people a right to vote fundamentally in the constitution. It's left to each state. And today, for Mm. example, like look at the laws around prisoners voting, right? So many states don't let people who are currently in jail vote, uh, or you have to finish your probation or your parole in order to vote. But Maine and Vermont let people who are sitting there incarcerated fill out a ballot and mail it in. So my biggest frustration is I wish people would sort of, instead of seeing the federal government at the top and then our state and then our local government, understand that it's a bunch of things side by side. Mm. And in many ways, our state is actually more powerful than Mm. the federal government. Mm. Where do you think that perception came from? And was it by design that, um, you know, the federal government wanted its people to feel that? Or... I try. I try to turn my brain away from conspiracy thinking, although it often goes goes back there. Where it's sort of the idea that if you don't pay attention to who actually has the power, then those people can continue to be in power since they're not being held to but account. Also, is it maybe not conspiracy as much as it is ego? Sure. Yeah, and and if if you're not being, you know, if you don't have a strong local newspaper that's sort of, you know, reporting what's happening and calling people out when they're, um, you know, behaving corruptly, or you don't have people who know you know, how to follow what's happening in their state and follow whether or not their representatives are doing a good job, then that's, you know, our ignorance can be other people's permanence in their job. Mm-hmm. So part of it is, is I think that does benefit people, but also it comes back to civics education. You know, we used to teach this so much in our schools. In fact, back in the 50s and 60s, coming out of World War II, there was this huge renewed national focus on teaching government and, and, and teaching civics and understanding what it means to be a citizen. And then in the ensuing decades, that went away. And then after No Child Left Behind in 2002, it started this sort of trend of focusing on reading and math, honestly, like ad nauseum over and over and all these new standardized tests to test kids in reading and Mm -hmm. math. And, you know, this happened again with every federal and state law, you know, large federal and state law, basically just hammering reading and math. And so civics has been just like chipped away, away, away. So we have so little civics that we honestly just focus on the federal government. If we only have half a year to teach people about government, we start with the Mm. federal government and we don't really get to the state level or get to the local level. So I think part of it has to do with just not allocating enough time in schools to then move from the federal level and also talk about state and local government. Coming from Canada especially too, I wanted to understand a little bit more of U.S. policy. I wanted to understand a bit more of government structure. And that's one thing that I really love about your book too, both books. And for the kids' book, there's a lot of text in here. I was hoping it was pop-up, but it was a little bit more advanced than, than I usually read. But anyway, for me, it was, it's was it been really great because I have come as an outsider. And you know, I'm somebody who I like to learn and I like to ask a lot of questions. And this is helping clarify for me. Um, but the thing that I just I find a little frustrating is um, 
just stubbornness and people getting into a cycle. And anytime I ever hear, which we hear, I hear all the time, whenever you're listening to any level of government talking, I hear people say, well, it's always been done this way. And that drives me effing crazy when I hear that statement, it's always been done this way, because that's the way you die. That's not the way that you improve and you evolve and you support each other. So what's your, when you see how things are done and you're looking at from our perspective, just as everyday people, what are ways that we can help change laws? Well, I think it's also important to understand that the people who created our country and created our constitution, they wanted us to change it. You know, the entirety of Article 5 is about the amendments process. They wanted us to adapt it as, as society grew and, mm. um, you know, uh, values changed and mores changed. They wanted to, the constitution to adapt with the times. In fact, Thomas Jefferson, who was not at the Constitutional Convention, he wrote to James Madison, who was one of the chief architects at the Constitutional Convention, and said that he thought, Thomas Jefferson thought, that we should change the Constitution every 19 years. Not like, not like change it, like a brand new Constitution, you know, about every two decades, because it was like expecting a coat that you wore as a child to fit you, you know, 20 years later as a grown man. It's like, you mm. know, laws change like, like we as individuals change. And so we should have our, our government and, and our laws and, and even our constitution adapt to fit the, the current times. So when I, th- and when I hear people say that, you know, this, this is how it's always been, it either sounds like they're kind of, it's like a cop-out or for some reason they don't want things to change. And so that's the argument they say, well, it's always been like this, so it should just stay that way. Yeah, works in their favor, so mm-hmm. why change? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think for me, it's a, it's a matter of learning through empowerment a little bit. Like yeah, our, my, yeah. my mom, I remember her always trying to teach us how to budget something and not just think, oh, I have money in hand, I can spend it on candy or, or games or whatever it might be. And so I, I think there are little things that just like civics, like you're talking about, that can be little things that we could pass along to our future children in a way that isn't you know, overbearing, but it's a way that subtly infuses this knowledge like you have. It's a, it's a solid depth of knowledge, but it's so easy for you to talk about it because you've been dealing with this for your whole life. Yeah. yeah. I think also, you know, for, for parents being able to involve their, their kids in the civic actions that, that they do. So like bringing your kid along to, you know, the, the polling place to, to vote with you, or if you're voting by mail, mm-hmm. like do it with your kid sitting alongside you and explain, you know, mm-hmm. why you're voting for this person and what this job does. Um, you can also involve your kid, you know, just talking about issues at the dinner table. Uh, you know, all of the people that, you know, parents are voting for also represent the kids. It's not like they don't represent the mm. kids just because the kids don't vote. Like technically the kids are still constituents. So, mm. you know, kids can write letters to their representatives. They can, if they're old enough, use social media. You know, I, I think in the last couple of years, Most especially definitely. politicians really like to, you know, build up their social media following. So a great way to get their attention is to at them on Twitter and, you know, tell them what you want them to do. Because unlike a letter or a phone call, you know, social media is, is very visible one-to-one communication. So they mm. can maybe ignore your phone call or or, you know, delete your email. Right. But if you're putting them on blast on social media, and, and be respectful, obviously, when you're when you're doing this, yeah. but it stays up for a long time. And anyone who's like searching Twitter can see that. Oh, hey, uh, you know, Drew posted a video to his state legislator, you know, a couple of weeks ago, and I don't know if that person's responded or have they taken any actions yeah. based on that. I love that. Um not attacking, because I think that's one thing that's really important. I think that's something we would want to instill in our our children too. Is the idea that if you are at odds with something or you have uh, some sort of change that you want to make, it's not worth attacking. It's worth informing and creating a conversation because there's a far better chance of coming to a, 
uh, resolution than just attacking someone with a different opinion. It's also just like basic politeness, you know. Like if somebody if somebody wants me to do something and they start the conversation by screaming at me, calling me an idiot, and that I'm you know an, an evil and destroying the country, and they want to do this, it's like it's not going to make me like super receptive to what you're about to say next, as it would if it wasn't a conversation between a constituent and a politician. It was just normal people. So mm-hmm. you know. Politicians really do like to hear from their constituents. I had this experience a, a couple days ago. I reached out to my member of Congress about something you know very specific that I wasn't sure if he was paying attention to or um, acknowledging. And I spoke to somebody at his office, and I gave my name and in an, an email address, and I got an email from my member of Congress a few days later. Uh, you know, part of it was a form email, but part of it was like pretty specific to what. I mentioned on the phone call and the mm. notes that that you know person took down and um, it just it just a reminder that these people work for us. You know we're all collectively mm. bosses, right? If you think of a private company, obviously you have a few people at the top who are the boss of many people at the bottom. Government is the exact opposite. You have many people mm. at the top, the voters, the constituents, who are the boss of a few people below them because just like bosses, we collectively all, millions of us, uh, we have an interview process through the campaign, we make hiring decisions at the polls, we pay their salaries, benefits, and expenses with our tax dollars and then every two to four to six years later uh, we decide if we want to you know, re-up their contract. So if you're being a good boss, you wouldn't like you know, zone out of the interview process, hire people mm. who don't know their background or for a job that you don't fully understand and then not pay attention for you know, a few years. That would not be a very successful country, but that's or a company, but that's kind of how we run the country. So if we get it back in our minds that these people do work for us and we are bosses and we have to kind of be responsible collectively as bosses, then I think flipping that power dynamic in our heads will make us better citizens. Yeah, that that is such a great eye-opening analogy and makes it makes the relationship more clear rather than, you know, we are just beholden to whatever they whatever they impose. Mm-hmm. So in your journey with everything that is important to you and, and like you said, the education for people about civics, it, what has there ever been a time where you felt hopeless? Like a time where you felt trying to encourage people, it's just, it's a lost cause. That's so funny because my last question was going to be like, in your journey and sharing all of this, what has given you hope? So, so I, I'm, hitting the, <laughs> I'm hitting the low and then Linda's going to hit the high. This is, what, this is how we do it. <laughs> um, I would say what makes me feel a little bit of hopelessness and despair is the sheer level of animosity and vitriol that I see on social media. And I think we've gotten to a place in our society where um, civil discourse, we've lost the civil um, and we've fallen victim to the platforms that we're arguing on. And I think if we have to really step back and acknowledge that these companies make a lot of money based on our arguing. They make a lot of money based on our getting upset, getting us angry, making us feel outraged, becoming addicted to fear and outrage, and and engagement on the platform based on those, you know, sentiments of fear and outrage is very profitable. And so, being angry and vitriolic on social media, it's not benefiting, you know us, the users, it's benefiting the people who own that company because it's more mm-hmm. engagement and they can sell more ads. And so we have to take a step back and realize that like we need to talk to each other as human beings. And if you're trying to convince somebody in person, face to face, how would you talk to them? If someone was trying to convince you of something, how, how would you want to be approached? And just not falling victim to sort of the trap that I think a lot of social media platforms set for us. What does mm-hmm. give me hope is honestly the amount of people um, 
specifically teachers that have reached out to me about my books, saying that they're using them in class. Uh, you know, parents who have left reviews or messaged me saying that you know their kid has never been interested in politics before, but they got them you know this book and now they've you know stayed up all night reading it and didn't <laughs> want to put it down and had so many questions. Also people who I may not agree with politically who have reached out to me saying that they appreciated the book. And that was really my Mm. goal was I'm not interested in trying to sway people one direction or another. If you want somebody to do that, there are plenty of sources out there that you can get, you know, someone trying to convince you of something. But I noticed that when people are having a conversation online or having an argument, you know, and they're not armed with the understanding of how the the government actually works, it's hard to have a productive argument, you know, it's like mm-hmm. or, or conversation. Yeah. It's like two people standing, you know, on a surface and they're arguing one way or another and they're not noticing that the surface is like cracking and and falling apart and like they may not have an argument because everything is going to, you know, go into a pile of rubble. Uh, that's a yeah. bit of a violent analogy, but if you <laughs> yeah. but what I'm saying is like we have to understand how things work in order to, you know, work it to our advantage. And mm. I think we Linda and I have talked about this as well as I think there's so much misunderstanding or just ignorance as to how things operate or sort of your side, my side, and just people forming their opinions on what they think is fact, but it's not, it's just opinion or they're, it's a secondhand opinion of somebody else and it's not fact. And I, I think several times I've caught myself, not even on a political level, but just myself, I'm regurgitating something that I was told and thought was truth and it's not, it's just somebody's opinion. And all of a sudden I realize my whole argument has no basis. And so I, I think that that's been a, a good thing for me to understand, to take a breath, do a little bit more digging before I try and get into uh, you know, forcing my opinion or agenda. Not that I ever want to force that on somebody, but... Anyway, well, thank you so much for. I have a million other questions for the record, just so you know. Uh, we are definitely doing lunch or something. So that I would I can, love that. I'm yeah. happy to answer them. Yeah, but I, I really appreciate this, and I, I do think when we look at a lot of what we've talked about on on at home with communication, you know, within our community and communication within our family, there's so much that I'm getting from everything that you're saying, and and how we can learn and grow as united as a a country that is all the way down to this small level of where we are ourselves. Um, there's a lot that I'm learning that can help mm-hmm. us there as well. So I appreciate that. Oh, it's my it's my pleasure. This has been a, a treat to talk to you both. Yeah, I love that all this you know conversation around civics, which can seem very daunting, can all start at home at the dinner table as as you did as or you as did. you had when yeah. you were a kid. We do a speed <laughs> round at the end of all of our chats. So if you're ready for some hard hitting questions. Okay. <laughs> Lay it on me. All right. What meal makes you feel at home and who cooked it? Uh, sad. Well, anything that my wife cooks is delicious, but she does cook vegan food. So if it is not vegan food, then it is sushi takeout from Osawa. Oh, I'll take it. Best thing your parents taught you? why I should care about who represents me. What is a memorable growth moment? I would say I got in trouble for something in high school. And I think being able, just learning early on the ability to apologize and how to apologize for something and how to listen to someone and and have that information help change your mind about something is an incredibly valuable Lesson, you know, when we, I know this is a speed round, but just one really quick thing. You know, it's like we watch, you know, people arguing on cable news. It's like no one ever stops and says, hey, that was a really good point. Yeah, I'm looking at it differently now. You know, everyone's on there to argue. So the art of like 
on one level, uh, apologizing for something you did wrong, but also just listening and being receptive to new information and being willing to change your mind, Mm -hmm. I would say was a huge growth moment learning for me early on. It's major. I I know this is speed round, but I still have to sideline on that point. I can't remember where it was. Maybe you'll remember, Linda, but there were two politicians. I can't remember what state they were in. They were both running, you know, Republican, Democrat, and they decided to change the way they were doing it and they ran supporting each other, just saying, you know, there are both valid points on either side of the fence here. Uh, we want you to pick who you feel is the best um, to represent you and we'll we'll go with your opinion. But they didn't do the typical high school popularity contest, bad mouthing and slander campaigns. And I find that is so refreshing. Mm-hmm. So refreshing. Also, like what you and your brother did, you said that you guys would switch arguments and take like different mm-hmm. arguments. Like that's also a really good way to build, you know, not just empathy, but understanding where the other person is coming from by like arguing mm. from their point of view. Canada, UK, USA, government systems, structure. What do you think when you look globally? What do you think is sort of a superior structure or sort of a, I don't know, more open forward thinking structure? I really wish in the United States we had more than two political parties. I dream of it. I I I, 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 I pray that this will one day happen and we have to do a couple really simple things in order to change that. Um, you know, states, for example, could award their electoral votes proportionally, not winner take all. Any state could do that tomorrow, but because we have winner take all system set up in this in this country it's the two biggest parties are obviously going to be fighting for the fighting for the majority of the votes but i wish we would do proportional representation and have more voices in the room just than a duopoly absolutely oh my gosh i can go on about that so um i'm feeling because there's so many similarities you should name your child drew uh we'll name ours ben perfect it's, Maybe it's gonna be so, it's going tradies. to be Drew Linda Sheehan. There, there it is. You might as well just take Linda's last name too. It's yeah. fine. I might as well. Yeah, Damn. I'll throw it in there. We don't. We don't need Sheehan. There's enough of us. That's fine. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. All right. Thank you so much. Bye, Bye. Have a good night. And by the way, we have an amazing team, and just want to say a huge thank you to all of them. We could not do this without them. Brandon Angelino. Annalie Bell, Hannah Fan, Courtney Iwanis, West Friend, Chris Cobain, Nicole Schachter, and Sabrina Ayakobuchi. Also, our theme music is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson, and our music composed and produced by Rick Russo. Thank you so much for listening, and if you have a few seconds, don't forget to subscribe and rate. Yes, please do, please do. And also leave comments on our social media at At Home. We love to hear from you. Dun, 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 dun. ADT <laughs> now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT is awesome and believes that the smarter the home, the safer the security. I can't wait to see what they do next. They're going to put Google Nest doorbells on the moon. <laughs> dun, dun. Actually, I'd like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with our Google Nest doorbell. I do love how when we're out at dinner, we can see exactly what's going on at the front door. And we can control our ADT smart devices like... Lights, locks, the security system with Google Nest speakers and displays. Mm-hmm. All you have to say is, hey, Google, to get started. Well, I think it's great for people to help protect what matters most with all of this. Plus, 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Hey, Google.